you have a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, if you're at home and you want to um, open up, or if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you want to open up to a browser or whatever, I use the ESV Bible, so you can look up a copy of the ESV online, I think even ESV.org um, would allow you to access the Bible there in your web browser, and um, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And uh, typically when we're here, First Baptist Church, we stand out of reference for the reading of the words of our God. If you and your family would like to do that, you can. Um, but I want you to hear the word of the Lord uh, as John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Oh God, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I come before you today needing your grace. I'm sure that's the case for everybody else as well. Lord, I'm weak and needy and need your help to preach your word today. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you would apply your word to the hearts of those who would hear this message about your son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. It's a thought that was made popular by the late British author C.S. Lewis, who you've probably heard of, if not um, from his famous book, Mere Christianity, but perhaps through uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and that series of books that he wrote. He's well known. And this idea is what historians and theologians since have called the trilemma. A dilemma is when you're forced with two options. A trilemma is where you're forced with three. I'm sure you've heard it before. Jesus could not have simply been, as we talked about last week, a great moral teacher, or he couldn't have just been an a, a easy person to deal with. He, we can't just write him off historically. He, he was either a liar you know, he just lied about who he was and that he came from God. Or a lunatic, like anyone we might find out on the street claiming to be God right now. Um, that's probably the only people left on the streets right now are the lunatics, you know, out there. We could go find them. It'd be easy. Or he's Lord. He is who he claimed to be. And yet, in recent years, many skeptics uh, and others have recognized that there's really been a fourth option that's developed. And it's really a popular notion, and I'll argue it's a pretty good point. 
It's something we have to reckon with. Maybe Jesus wasn't a liar. Maybe he wasn't a lunatic. Maybe he wasn't Lord. Maybe he was a legend. Uh, Maybe he's a Paul Bunyan type character, right, for us here in America. Maybe he was a normal, itinerant preacher, and over the years around him, for different reasons, a sort of legend developed around him. There are scholars who would argue that any claims to the divinity of Christ, any claims to to Jesus being something more than a simple preacher, are very late additions to the Jesus story. Very late thoughts in communities of Christians. So the thought goes, he was a legend. He was an itinerant preacher, if he existed at all. And later legends developed around him. Legends that were too extravagant to possibly be true. Um, I don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was a liar. I don't believe he was a lunatic. And I don't think he was simply a legend. I believe he is Lord. So I'll go ahead and get my presuppositions out there for everyone, in case you were wondering. You can't take for granted that preachers believe that anymore, unfortunately, out in the world today. Uh, But I do believe that Jesus is Lord. I I don't think it's true. In, In fact, I think the things that you need to believe to believe that the divinity and the miracles and the uniqueness of Jesus were a later invention. Now listen, if you're a skeptic out there today, bear with me. I'm not going to try to force you to believe he was necessarily Lord this morning. But I'm trying to craft an argument here for you. I hope you will. I hope you would, and I think there's plenty of evidence in the passage we're looking at for that to be the case. But don't feel like I'm twisting your arm immediately. What I'm saying right now is the argument that I really want to construct is that it's impossible to reconcile a late invention of the uniqueness of Christ and the divinity of Christ. It's impossible to reconcile that with historical record. Things that are just understood and, and believed by people who aren't even Christians. It's a, a myth that Jesus was simply a legend that developed over time. Now what you've got to do, and I really mean this, what you've got to do, what we've all got to do, every human being, is really reckon with who Jesus is. We've got to figure out, okay, what makes sense of an early adoption of a belief that Jesus is God among his followers, including his closest people? What helps us make sense of that? Why is that the case? Do not think for a moment if one of the things that's helping you wiggle out from under the authority of Jesus Christ, if one of the things is, oh, he was just a legend that developed later, that I, I hope and pray that you'll recognize it, at least begin the process of thinking through this morning, that that is not a, a cop-out that's available to you. It may feel like it is, but it's not. So this morning, I want to show you three reasons why I believe that Jesus is not a mere legend and why that's great news for you. The thought of Jesus being something beyond just a mere historical figure may terrify you. But I want you to know that by grace those fears can be relieved. Three reasons this morning why Jesus is not a mere legend and why that's great news for you. Here's um, one reason why I believe that Jesus was not just a legend. It's because the apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus. The apostles 
were eyewitnesses of Jesus. Notice how John opens up this letter. This is a letter written by the Apostle John, who we believe, based on the record of the Gospels, was Jesus' closest earthly compatriot. He was his friend, uh, his very close friend. And uh, John later uh, took on a role of leadership among the disciples. Uh, he and Peter were sort of the, the two disciples that were looked at most primarily as leaders among the apostles. And so John is writing a letter, not to a bunch of hardened skeptics here in First John, but he's writing it to a church. I think that's something important that we need to think about and consider as we understand the context of John's letter here. He is writing this letter to a church. He is not trying to defend Christianity. He's not trying to make some special point to a group of pagans. He is writing to a church. And notice how he opens his argument. How does he open his letter? That which was from the beginning. He's, if we follow the flow of this argument, it will become clear he's talking about Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. See, there's a myth, and it's one I'm sure you've heard. And uh, I'm kind of literally preaching to the choir today. But So even those of you who are here this morning, right, uh, the two or three socially distanced folks, several socially distanced folks that are here in the sanctuary, even you have heard uh, this sort of an argument that what the New Testament is built on and that what the authors of the New Testament are trying to get you to buy into is a sort of blind faith. That that's what people think. You, you don't have to think about these things. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you trust Jesus. It doesn't matter if there's any evidence. What you need to do is just believe. You guys ever heard that? I think many of us have probably had a pastor or youth pastor tell us that before. That is not what the apostles taught. That is not what the scriptures teach. That is not how the apostles taught the gospel. That is not how they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. John is literally preaching to the choir here. He is talking to people who already believe, and he is reminding them as he begins to talk about Jesus, he is the one who we saw. He is the one who we heard. We touched him with our hands. You see, eyewitness testimony. If you were to give the New Testament an honest reading, you would see the way that the eyewitness testimony of the apostles and other people is integral. It is essential to the way the apostles taught and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are witnesses, they say. We have seen this. We have heard this. We touched him with our very hands. If you go back and read John's gospel, you'll recognize the same author, 1 John, wrote a gospel, a story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And you'll go back and you'll notice the way that he goes to great lengths to show the way that these categories were true, both of Christ in his earthly life and that they saw, that they touched, and they heard Jesus after his resurrection. These same things were true of the risen Lord as well. We have heard, John says, we have heard. He, he's building his argument on the fact they have heard these things. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard. Now think about this. 
what they're saying is we actually heard what Jesus taught. We, we actually heard what Jesus taught. And when you look at the record of the New Testament, you begin to see that what they're doing is living out the command that Jesus put on their life. There's all sorts of arguments and all sorts of thoughts out there about what the mission of the church ought to be. All, all sorts of thoughts out there. That we really, what the church ought to be doing is doing what Jesus did. We ought to be out trying to do as much good as we can possibly do. I think you guys all recognize, I think it's important for the church to do good, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to give out, as it were, a, cold, a cup of cold water, so to speak, in Jesus' name. I, I think it's important to do that. I think it's important to show hospitality to strangers. I think it's important to try to help feed the hungry. But that is not the primary mission of the church. From time to time, I'll have people ask me this kind of question. Now, what exactly does First Baptist Church of Gadsden do for the community? And I always say, well, before I answer that question, let me tell you about the most important thing we do for this community. Now, we do stuff for the community. You, you, you guys know. We try to love the community, serve the community. That's important. But the most important thing First Baptist Church of Gadsden does is not trying to replicate what Jesus did. The most important thing Jesus did were not his miracles. It was not his mercy ministry. The most important thing that Jesus did in his earthly life was die on the cross for our sins and be raised from the dead. We are gospel people. So we don't spend our time trying to replicate what Jesus did because we can't. We spend our time doing what Jesus told us to do. And that's preach the gospel. The most important service we provide to Gadsden, Alabama is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the work of the apostles. Do you see what John is arguing here? He's saying that which we heard, and if you skip down into the next uh, verse, I mean, uh, down into verse 3, he says, that which we have seen and heard, what do we do? We proclaim also to you. That's what the apostles are doing. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What John is arguing here is we heard what Jesus taught, and now we are spreading that teaching, the, the thrust of that teaching, what Jesus wanted us to know and what Jesus wants you to know is the gospel. And so what they're doing is following Jesus' command to teach what he taught. Now the other stuff came alongside that, right? There were great, great mercy ministries in the early church. They served their communities well. They loved those around them, but primarily what we're about and primarily what they were about was spreading what they had heard from Jesus. Do you see how clearly John is linking his authority to teach and preach to what Jesus taught? What we heard we also proclaim to you. And so what you'll have, and there are movements that crop up from time to time, what you'll have, like I think the most recent one, people call themselves sort of red-letter Christians. They're mainly focused on, on doing what Jesus did or only on the red letters of the Bible, only what Jesus said in his earthly life. And that is a dichotomy, a, a split, right, a divorce between what Jesus taught and the apostles taught that Jesus does not want us to have. 
he inspired, he commanded his apostles to teach us what he taught them. John is linking his teaching and preaching ministry to what he heard from Jesus. And so what we start to realize then is what the apostles saw themselves as doing is teaching and preaching what Jesus taught and preached. There's no room there for the development of a legend. They're connecting what they're doing to what Jesus did. But not only that, they also say not only what we have heard, they also talk about what we have seen with our eyes, what we've looked upon. John and the other apostles, they saw Jesus. They saw Him perform miracles. They saw Him transfigured. They saw Him after He was raised from the dead. John's not saying anything but we are preaching what we saw. We are preaching what we saw. And what I would challenge you to do is just read through 1 John. Just this afternoon, take some time or this week and read through 1 John and just see for yourself what does he think Jesus was telling him to say? What is he arguing that he saw? What is he arguing that he experienced? It's really clear that what they are saying is we believe right now. At this moment, when 1 John was written, the early apostles were not thinking, oh, he was just a simple country boy preacher. He taught us a bunch of good stuff, and we're going out and spreading how to love. That's not what they're saying. We saw him dead, and now he's alive. We saw him. We saw what happened, and he has sent us to tell you about it. And he goes on and says, we have touched him with our hands. This is really important because even very early in the Christian church, there were a lot of people who argued that when Jesus raised from the dead, it was not a bodily resurrection, that people saw a ghost or a spirit or a specter of some sort. Or there were even people who would argue that Jesus in his earthly life only appeared human, that he was actually a purely spiritual creature, that he didn't have a body. And what does John say? What is he arguing here? We touched him with our hands. There's a real person. His name is Jesus. We touched Him. We saw Him. We heard Him. We cannot unsee this. We cannot go back on this. This is our friend, and now He is alive. I've been listening to this great album called Resurrection Letters, Volume 1, by this great singer, uh, Andrew Peterson. Uh, You've probably heard the song, Is He Worthy? It's wonderful. It's on on this album. Listen to this um, song these lyrics from the song i've seen too much by andrew peterson i think he perfectly sums up what i'm trying to argue about the eyewitness testimony of the apostles andrew peterson said this he said i've seen so much that cannot be explained he's he's talking from the perspective of the apostles and i realize it's a mystery of faith but my friend was dead and he walked out of the grave and i knew the world would never be the same I saw too much when I looked into the eye of the one I love and the one who loves me, and there was nowhere left to hide. I've seen too much, too much to deny. I've seen too much, too much to say goodbye. Too many points of light, too much to say goodbye. This is what John's arguing. We have seen this, we have heard this, we have touched this, and now we proclaim this to you. You see, the eyewitness testimony of the apostles is one thing that makes it difficult to write Jesus off as merely a legend. Thankfully, though, it's not the only thing. Second of all, the apostles had a high view of Jesus. The the apostles had a high view 
of Jesus. Now, what I don't mean by this is they just thought he was a good guy. What I mean is they had a Christology, a view of who Jesus was and his divinity that was very high very early on. Somebody might look at me and say, well, of course Jesus was a historical figure. I think that's absolutely the case. And I think these folks saw him and heard him and wanted to spread his message, but this kind of high view of him, this high Christology, this view that he's a divine, this view that he's really the Son of God, that's something that came a lot later. There's no way that this was really the case. The disciples didn't actually see him as the Son of God. That's a later theological development, somebody might argue. However, what does John say in this text? What, what, what does he say? Listen, listen to what he says in verse 2. Well, first, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, which we've touched with our hands, the word of life. Then verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now listen to this language. Listen to what John is saying. He's using language that can only be used of God. And once again, if you keep reading through 1 John, if you, if you read the rest of 1 John, this is the least of the high language and the high Christology that John will use to talk about Jesus. He is the Son of God, John believed. Ask yourself, as you look at this text, how did John view Jesus? He says, from the beginning. He's referencing there the eternality of Christ. If you take this and understand it in terms also of, of the prologue to John's gospel in John chapter 1, you begin to see that when John talks about the beginning, he's talking about Christ as the eternal Son of God. When he calls him the Word of life, God identified himself with his Word in the Old Testament. And so to call him the Word of life is to associate him with God and to associate with him with divinity. For him to be able to offer life or even eternal life, who can do this? God, when John twice talks about how he's being made manifest, he was with the Father, but he was made manifest. He's showing the way that God is revealing something about himself to us in and through Jesus Christ. You see, this is all language that would only be used to connect Jesus of Nazareth with God, with divinity. John is arguing, John is showing he believed that Jesus is the Son of God. He believed that Jesus is divine. Now you say, well, sure. Of course, whoever wrote 1 John thinks that. The problem with that notion is that 1 John is quoted very early in the second century. Around 100 AD, 1 John's already a circulating letter that's out there. Polycarp and others quoted 1 John. There are very few people who would say that John's letter is not John writing. We think it is the Apostle John. And, and so I think when you look at the dating of 1 John, you see it was, had to have been written at least before 90 A.D. It's a very early letter. This is John, the Apostle, who lived with the Jesus, who saw him, who touched him, who heard him, who's saying, I believe this man is the Son of God. What I am arguing today is the idea that divinity of Christ was developed later is a foolish thought. It's a foolish thought. 
Jesus was viewed as the Son of God by his followers from the earliest, earliest, earliest day. They believed, they saw, they heard, and they touched Jesus of Nazareth. And when they saw him, when they touched him, when they heard him, eventually they believed this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't believe Jesus was a mere legend. The apostles certainly didn't believe that. I don't think there's any sort of way to make an historical argument that a high view of the Christology of Christ developed in the 3rd or 4th centuries. It, it's really clear the earliest followers of Jesus believed He was Lord. And, and that's not even looking at the other evidence in the New Testament of an early high view of Christ. But that's not the only thing that helps us see that Jesus is not a mere legend. Not, not only do we look and do we see that the apostles were eyewitnesses, not only do we look and do we see that they had a very high view of Jesus, but for me, the most compelling argument here is this. The apostles gave their lives for Jesus. The apostles gave their lives for Jesus. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. And with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things, verse 4, so that our joy may be complete. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have touched, we proclaim to you. Have you read the book of Acts? Have you looked at what these guys did? The great lengths they went to? to tell people about Jesus, they committed their lives to preaching the gospel. Why? So that you might have fellowship with us and with the Father. What they're saying is we want you to be a part of Christ's church, which He has built. We want you to have fellowship with us, and because when you have fellowship with the Lord's church, when you are brought into the Lord's church, you are brought in by faith in Jesus, in the Father, and you have fellowship with the Father, you are brought into this fellowship that God has created. And so they committed their lives to leading people into fellowship with God through Christ. These guys gave up everything, their careers, their livelihood, the respect of their peers. It was not popular to believe in Jesus. It's not like it is here in Gadsden, you know. And you, you of course, yeah, I go to church. In fact, I'm a deacon. Oh, you may not know this. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church. right? It, it, it didn't carry with it any sort of a positive connotation. Folks were thrown in jail for it. They were the dregs of society. If you were to go read, even in the second century, it lingered for centuries. The, the sort of disdain which Roman people and even Jewish people had for this, what they saw as a cult. You'd be shocked. The things they were accused of, the things they were called, they committed their lives anyway through hardship and trials and tribulations to tell people about Jesus. Notice what John says. And we are writing these things, why? So that our joy might be complete. Now, that's one thing to have a duty, right? It's one thing to do something you feel like you've got to do. It's another thing altogether to do it with joy. We are writing these things 
so that our joy may be complete. You see, the apostles gave their lives for Jesus, and through the midst of it all, they over and over and over again say, we are doing this because it is our joy to do. All of the apostles, according to church history, except for John, were, were, were murdered, executed, most of them crucified. Peter, church history says, wouldn't be crucified like Jesus, so he's crucified upside down. They all shared in the sufferings of Christ. Go back to 2 Corinthians. We preached on this a few weeks ago and see the list of Paul's sufferings, the floggings, the shipwrecks. He was stoned. All sorts of things happened. Stephen was stoned to death. Jesus' followers were persecuted, killed. John was eventually exiled to the island of Patmos alone with all his friends dead and yet was still willing to write Revelation and about the triumph of Jesus Christ. I believe he died in exile. The apostles were ridiculed. They were ostracized from society. And there are people who say that orthodoxy was some sort of a power play where, where people wanted to have power. And that's a real uh, goofy view of church history because it was really late before Christians had any sort of power or any sort of recognition or clout in society. I often say saying that the apostles uh, believed Jesus was Lord because they wanted power and authority would be like saying George Washington wanted to be president because he really liked motorcades. It makes no sense. And while it may be true now, it certainly wasn't true then. Why? Would these men give their lives in this way? Why would they dedicate themselves to a hoax when all it did was cost them? Why, why didn't somebody peel away? Why, why didn't somebody break off and say, this is enough. I can't do this. Perhaps it's because they saw, they heard, they touched, they experienced, their friend, who was dead and is now alive. Perhaps it's because they were indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul himself said, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What will you do with Jesus? He died for your sins. He raised from the dead. And there are people who saw it happen, whose testimony we have now, who have told us what happened. Was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Was he a legend? Or maybe, just maybe, he's Lord. And is it possible today that that Lord is speaking to you, calling out to you this morning, Inviting you to share in his life in difficult and troubled times. Jesus waits with open arms to save you today if you'd only put your trust in him. This morning, we're going to have a few moments of reflection. If you have questions about this, if you need someone to talk to, email me. malexander at fbcgazin.org. They can put my email address up on the screen. malexander at fbcgazin.org. Shoot me an email. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll call you today. We'll talk, we'll pray. And uh, if you have business to do with the Lord, you take just a few moments now to pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship today. Even as we don't gather, Lord, we're still grateful for this opportunity for worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.